Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. All right, In the Booth, here we go, everybody, on a Monday. What a sports weekend it was, and a great time of the year. Tis the season. Tis the season to be merry. We're heading into... The holidays and uh, people taking a little slower at work and enjoying uh, the company of others and the food and the buffalo chicken dip and all of that stuff. Polly doesn't like that. It's not natural. Not a great, <laughs> not a great start to the show. But I did notice on the tweeter that uh, our listener Pete in uh, St. Louis pointed out that uh, he doesn't know if he can trust somebody that doesn't like buffalo chicken dip, and I think that's probably a pretty good judge of character. And uh, chicken isn't a dip. You dip chicken into things. No, I will say that. <laughs> I will say if 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 the chicken is made to be as small as it would need to be to fit into a dip, then uh, reason to be uh, suspicious of it. But we got lots on the show today. We're going to look back at that Georgetown game and have some takes on that and what a weekend it was in the NFL. Paulie and the Steeler Nation have to be fired up uh, after their loss uh, in I won't say controversial fashion, but tough to stomach fashion. Uh, at Heinz Field against the Patriots yesterday, officiating front and center in the NFL on the primetime games yesterday. So we will touch base on that. You're welcome to chime in certainly at any time at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. In the booth is brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Later in the show, we'll visit with Spiro Ditas of CBS. Spiro had the uh, call of the Georgetown game uh, with Clark Kellogg, nationally televised on Saturday, but also had the week prior the Bills-Colts game, and we just couldn't work it out in terms of schedules to have Spiro on last week, but uh, that one's still relevant to get his perspective on the Snover time win for the Bills, and the Bills followed that up with another win yesterday to move in 8-6 and six and now in playoff position. The Jaguars winning big, Doug Marone is in the playoffs, and uh, lots going on, so uh, we will work our way through that over the course of the show today in all week the orange basketball team home tomorrow night against buffalo so we'll visit with the voice of the buffalo bulls josh wetzel on tomorrow's show and then it's the bonnies and of course we'll have to pry jim saddle into joining us as his two teams go head to head paycheck versus sheepskin and former paycheck for him uh come uh, Friday, and uh, where will his allegiances be? Uh, we'll figure that out in due time. But a couple of great games this week, two games that uh, will have a bit to say about the Orange's strength. You're still trying to figure them out. Uh, what stock do you put in a win against Georgetown? Coach Beheim, for what it's worth, and if you watch his reaction right after the win, uh, as usual, uh, nonplussed, he, it takes a lot for him to really get that double fist pump uh, exaltation uh, after a victory. We've seen that from time to time, but in this one, and it wasn't in doubt at the end of overtime as the Orange uh, won the extra period handily on Saturday in D.C. against the Hoyas, but that was a nice comeback win to be certain, and as Coach Beheim made his way over 
to be interviewed by Clark Kellogg at the end of the game, the first thing he said was, Georgetown's good. You know, we were kind of just off the stage there and able to pick up on that. So uh, what Coach's mantra was going into that whole game is forget about who Georgetown has played. Their players are good. They're well coached. Uh, He thinks they're going to win a bunch of games. So that has a chance to uh, build up the uh, Orange's resume as time goes on. If nothing else, it was a win in hand, sort of gaining a game over last year's progression to this point. The guys on the previous show were talking about it. Last year, Syracuse won its 11th game in the middle of January. Well, the Orange could have their 11th win by the end of this week if they take care of business. Again, not slam dunks. Buffalo and St. Bonaventure, for that matter, Eastern Michigan to follow. But the Orange are looking at the possibility of a 12-1 and non-conference season right where they want to be. You know, there's been a lot of talk about should Syracuse still play Georgetown? Is the rivalry what it was? You're going to hear Coach Beheim's comments on that. My comment is, abso-freaking-lutely. Okay? First of all, you're not going that good to, like, pass up things that are only okay. And is it as good as it was in the 80s or when it was in the Big East? No. You know, not playing three times a year. Uh, people aren't getting ejected. You know, that type of fun stuff related to the game. And you'll hear Coach's comments on that specifically. But... It's still pretty. Who would you rather have them have played yesterday or Saturday? If you just throw in a random opponent from another major conference or a mid-major, for what purpose? How would that be improving things? And if you look at all of, you know, we're in the talk radio business. We're trying to fill airtime. We're trying to make things interesting and compelling. All of last week was spent on building up to the Georgetown game because there was a week between games and, there's uh, certainly the history and the storylines related to Georgetown. You put in opponent X, and that is not there. Is that more interesting for you? I would argue it's not. So let's go through the game, and uh, for those of you that may have missed it, we'll work through really the highlights of the close of this game. The Orange got off to a pretty good start, struggled uh, offensively as both teams did, the Syracuse Uh, Defense was very strong in the first half. Georgetown had an off shooting game. They had been pretty good coming in. Syracuse had been very poor in uh, shooting three-pointers, but uh, was able to have its best game of the season, making 10 of 23 three-pointers and getting them from Tyus Battle, which is not a huge surprise, getting them from O'Shea Brissett is. At any rate, the Orange are down 13 with uh, 11 minutes to go in the game and uh, came back to chip away at it. O'Shea Brissett was absolutely extraordinary in the last 11 minutes of alone of regulation. He had 17 points and 8 rebounds, a career high for him, 25 points and 14 rebounds. And then, of course, when the Orange needed big baskets, you know to whom they would turn. They were down 7, then 5, 1 basket uh, could turn the tables. This is how it happened. Still get the rebound. Big trip here in a five-point game. Left corner, monster three, battle. Yes! And it's a two-point game. 69-67. Battle. Money one more time. And uh, then coming back up the floor, uh, not exactly a uh, sleepy Floyd moment, but close to it as uh, Frank Howard, not even really at the top of the zone, but just before he probably would have settled uh, into a stance. Let's say 25 feet out above the top of the key with a rip and the layup to tie. A steal by Howard, a breakaway. Howard one-on-none with Melmore coming late. Howard lays it up and in, and the game is tied with a minute to go. It's 69 all. 
and then uh, into overtime it would go. The Orange had won three in a row in overtime against Georgetown in the series. They would make it four straight and really command the play in the extra period because of Tyus Battle, who had an early three in overtime. Syracuse did not trail in OT and was able to salt it away. Morgan is shot. No good. Mosley missing. And that is all she wrote. The Orange rally from 13 down and hand Georgetown legend Patrick Ewing his first career coaching loss. Syracuse takes it in overtime in D.C., 86-79. So an 86-79 overtime victory. It moves the Orange to 9-1 and in the season. Georgetown, as you heard there, suffers its first loss of the year. And here are Coach Beheim's first comments addressing the media after the game. We had to press to keep the tempo up. Hoping they miss or we get a steal and they missed a couple. We got a couple and then we got a couple steals. You know, we got our offense going. Uh, O'Shea is a very good player. He hasn't shot the ball well, but we know he can shoot it. And he picked a a real good day to, to shoot it today. And Tyus made some plays. Frank made some really good plays in there. So I thought it was a great comeback effort. Uh, they attacked us the right way. They did everything right. We just got a couple steals on the press and made a couple big shots to get back in it. And then I thought we had a really good chance in, in regulation with that last jump shot. And we got two offensive rebounds. Easy tries around the basket, but uh, we had some momentum going into overtime, and Tyus, he actually was shooting like this early in the year, and he got hurt in the game. He took a bad fall, and he hasn't really shot it well since then. I think he's finally got back. His back is better now. That's the way he shot it in the beginning of the year, so that's not not surprising. But it was a a good win, come from behind, great crowd. It was a lot like it used to be. Just there wasn't any blood on the floor. Well, and Coach has another comment uh, illustrating just how it might have been good, not as great as it uh, used to be that we'll have for you here in a little bit, and uh, pretty funny to think of it that way. I don't think there are any games anymore where there's blood on the floor the way that there uh, was in the heyday of the Big East in the mid-'80s through the mid-'90s, even a a time where the conference experimented with six fouls. For what it's worth, there was a little bit going around on social media last week about, hey, wouldn't it be cool if – there was a non-conference tournament that was sort of like the old Big East tournament, and, and I don't know exactly what all the proposals were, but you can kind of figure that out, that if Syracuse and maybe Connecticut, Villanova, Georgetown, St. John's, whatever, played in a tournament, forget about it if it's going to take any cooperation of the current Big East. They have no interest in doing that because uh, – it's sort of like you wouldn't think any product, you know, at the grocery store. Hey, remember when we used to be better? <laughs> remember when this was really great? We're going to offer this for a limited time. Um, although I guess maybe the soda companies do that when they say, you know, now again with real sugar, and then they, and then they take it away. How would it work? I don't know. I mean, to me, if you if you ask me, would it be fun to have a four game tournament around Thanksgiving or something where it was, uh, you know, Syracuse, Villanova, Connecticut, and Providence, or however you wanted to work it out? and you jumbled it up from from year to year, I think it'd be awesome. What makes it weird is Creighton and Xavier are going, Whoa, what? <laughs> what are you doing this for? Right? And uh, I think you can sort of make it happen on your own in the non-conference, and that's really what Syracuse is doing. So, I, I think, and I'm not the athletic director, and, and, and when we get a chance to ask uh, John Wildhack about it uh, uh, directly, we will. Between the athletic director and the head basketball coach, I think they both 
support and will continue to mix in Connecticut, St. John's, maybe Villanova, and certainly Georgetown as opponents because there's reason to play. You know, I don't see why would you, who do you want to put in instead? You know, first of all, uh, there's a reason to maintain some of those ties to the past, and there's definitely a reason to play teams in and from your recruiting area. That's why I would maybe accept Connecticut from uh, that scenario. But if you're playing UConn at the Garden, then why not? So um, that's a discussion for another time. Back to the game itself. Uh, one of the key notes, and we'll ask Coach about this for the pregame uh, tomorrow night, about Frank Howard. Nine turnovers he had in the loss against Kansas. Or, I'm sorry, against uh, Connecticut. Nine. He came back, he had seven turnovers in the Georgetown game, but able to play through him, he made a couple of huge plays. He had nine assists, three steals, and the tying basket at the end of regulation. He's had a couple games where he's made some bad mistakes, but he's played through it, and that's the difference this year. He's He, he played through it. He made huge drives when we were really out of the game. He made, I think, three drives all the way uh, when we were really, really, <laughs> we were in trouble, and then... Then, and then O'Shea hit a couple and Tyus hit a couple. The Orange had to use their press more often than we typically see. Usually Coach Beheim uses it like the, uh, the, the paddles on a person having heart issues, you know, a quick jump back to life and then play your normal defense. In this case, the uh, press was put on for many consecutive minutes. And while Syracuse did have eight steals, Georgetown 16 turnovers, it didn't exactly completely crumble Georgetown because they had their opportunity to score against it as well, but it created open floor situations where Syracuse. We work on our press every day, pretty much in practice. We don't expect to use it a lot, but we knew coming in here we might have to. They actually handled it very well. They got through it. They got a couple dunks and a couple layups, but there was a little point there where uh, they missed a, they rushed a layup and missed it, and then they missed a jumper, and then we got a couple steals, and that, that was what you're pressing for. You're 10, 10, 12 down. You can't win the game unless you either get them to miss a shot in transition or you get a steal, and we finally got a couple steals, and, uh, you know, they missed a couple, and that's how, you know, we got back in it. You know, it was really surprising to be able to come all the way back, tie it, and then have the ball at the end to make a play when we had a good shot and we had two layup shots, I think, or three. We really got on the boards good. That's what we've been doing. That's the way we've been playing all year, getting on the boards. We didn't get on the boards early in the game at all, but we got on it there. That could have been then over right then. The the press, fans love it, Beheim makes excuses for it. I'm kind of of the opinion that I don't think the press was the difference in this game. I, I, I think they would have come back either way. I think uh, the, the zone shut them down towards the end. It shut them down in overtime. I don't think they played great against it in overtime. Yeah, you I'm, might be right. The only thing I would say is the press speeds up and turns over the possessions more quickly. So that's why you can maybe get back in the game or you can lose by more faster. But it is a tactic that you can do as opposed to you might have run out of time going the other way. You might be right. Maybe the you know the zone defense is good, and that's why Syracuse wants to play it uh, on a regular basis and wants to get set up in the zone. And every scouting report, every game, number one key to the game is get back in transition 
so you can play your defense. That's Syracuse's best weapon. Uh, one thing the Orange are better at this year than in most is rebounding. They're still fifth in the country with a 11.5 rebounding margin uh, per game and out-rebounded a good, big Georgetown team, 44-37. Georgetown had had a rebounding advantage in its games coming up. As for the relative strength of the rivalry and what the games are like now as opposed to the good old days, Coach Beheim had this memorable comment. Georgetown-Syracuse was, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't there, you missed something. This was a great game today. It was like a firecracker compared to a bomb to those games. No no way in the same, anywhere in the same neighborhood even. Not even in the same country. Not even sure on the same earth. Is that good enough? Did I give you enough things? That, but, you know, I was proud to be part of that. We fought Georgetown hard. It was bitter for a long time, but it was not at the end. And it's certainly not now, even though Big John always says something to get me mad. But... Uh, that's that's he's 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 earned that he's entitled to do that. You know, once in a while, I might say something to get him mad too, but uh, I tried not to. But this is a great game. It's a great rivalry. We're happy to be part of it, and uh, I'm proud of the way our guys came back in that game. It was not looking too good there for a while. Orange head coach Jim Beheim with another win against Georgetown on Saturday. And again, put in just random opponent, not, you know, Seth on the show. Well, if you're going to play somebody in the uh, D- DMV area, it may have been, it may as well be Georgetown. Yeah, you think? But would you rather, would the road trip to George Washington or George Mason or, or you know, anybody else? <laughs> you want to, Howard? Um, of course not. And uh, I just don't know who, you know, when you point out problems about anything in life, you have a lot more credibility and you're going to be taken a lot more seriously if you have some sort of suggestion as to how to fix said problem or you know remedy whatever issue you come up with. The idea of not playing Georgetown anymore, I need to hear other good ideas uh, that you think would be an improvement to it. And uh, and right now I don't know of many that are going to present themselves. And I'll take the Georgetown firecracker over a uh, a a cap. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, you, you know, know, I was trying to a think cap like, gun? who who would you. Would you rather a road trip to, I don't know, Penn State or something like that, that, you know, maybe the old, old timers would think that was a rivalry? It's not. They don't, you know, they're not relevant in basketball. And that would be just another game. This was not just another game. And and uh, let's hope it stays that way. I could see doing a home and home in Maryland. That's the only other. Yeah, you already played area, them this yeah, year. The only yeah. other yeah. school in that West area. West Virginia. You know, would be would be one That'd that be I would consider. Add, yeah. I think West Virginia should be on the football schedule if, if at all possible. There's there's some benefits to that. You know, we could do a whole show on scheduling. We'll do that maybe when, when things are slower. But um, th- that's my one of my latest uh, takes on things is when people say, oh, this is unwatchable or I can't do – you're not going that good, brother. You don't have other options that are so much better that you need to turn down – the uh, Syracuse Georgetown game. So uh, it was, you know, was it an all time classic? No, but it was uh, well worth your time. Overtime win. It was a class. That's a class. You know, you're going to remember I, that one for I a while. I think people are over exaggerating. You know, they, I mean, yeah. the the rivalry was great, but to put that game as not a great game for a Syracuse fan, yeah. that game was awesome. It was a great game. It was a great game. All right. Let's get to a break. We're overdue for that. Into the uh, weekend football review when we come back. Lots to dive in on in that one, including Paulie's Steelers. But uh, big wins for the Bills and former Orange coach Doug Marone down in Jacksonville 
as well. You're in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. It's the duel in the desert this Thursday when the Orange women take on Mississippi State. Tip time 5.30. Orange pregame 5.15. On the pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. And welcome back in the booth here until 3 o'clock. Got uh, Spiro Ditas coming up here in just a bit. Had uh, not only the Syracuse-Georgetown game, but also the uh, Bills-Colts game. Bills with another big win yesterday, moving to 8-6, uh, and six, beating the Finns, and the Pats are next. Pats with that uh, huge win yesterday against the Steelers, and it came in somewhat, and again, I struggle to use the word controversial fashion. You might not like the rule. The rule was applied appropriately but here's how it goes the Pats score they they got the touchdown the two-point conversion the field goal before that 11 points in a three-minute span to come back as the Steelers uh, had led it was a great game then the Steelers in two plays seem to score so they throw uh you know a little swing pass that should have gotten about 12 yards and was that uh, Smith Suster yes yeah. so he uh the, the Pats sort of let up as if they'd already knocked him out of bounds or he was going to step out of bounds, boom, down the sideline for a 60-plus yard gain. And then Big Ben, with uh, not quite goal to go, they were maybe uh, 10, 15 yards out, uh, sticks it in the end zone, it seems, in the second play. Here's a chest-high snap. Roethlisberger looks left, now looks right, pumps, throws over the middle. It is caught by Jesse James, shy of the goal line, and Eddie Bear crawls in for a touchdown. And Pittsburgh takes the lead with 28 seconds remaining. Great call there by Adam Amin on uh, ESPN Radio, and that's the way it appeared right away. Credit to Adam for calling it a touchdown right away. Uh, Jim Nance on uh, the NFL on CBS broadcast, same thing. Hey, it's a touchdown. James caught it, uh, really did a nice job without being touched, kind of leaning in. In in college football, they could have come back and said, you know, in fact, it would have been a catch in college football, goal to go about a half yard out or a yard out. In in this case, leaning in, and uh, you know the rest from here. For Le'Veon Bell. This is Bill Pullian. Double move to the outside. We're looking at the replay now. This is a touchdown, no question. I'll tell you what, if this comes back, there is going to be an unhappy crowd here. After reviewing the play, the receiver in the end zone did not survive the ground. It's an incomplete pass. It'll be Pittsburgh's ball, second down and 10 at the 10-yard line. And Tony Carranti. And the the reason at first people were thinking, oh, they uh, might overturn this or might not call it a touchdown because of kind of the college rule that he may have been down. Well, he wasn't down, but he did not complete the catch all the way through to the ground. Same rule applies back at the 38-yard line or at the minus 15. Part of making the catch is what they call surviving the ground, and he did not do that plain as day. Uh, you cannot like the rule, but they have to stipulate the rule a certain way uh, to make it that way, and uh, the cojones to overturn that uh, were significant. And uh, then, of course, on the next play, uh, Big Ben throws into traffic interception when they really had a cinch field goal that would have sent it to overtime. I'm going to argue the plain as day part of that too because it looked like his hands were under the ball when he made his initial contact with the end zone and then slid forward and the ball moved after the initial contact with the ground. I didn't think there was enough to overturn it but that's the rule. Well, I think what people want the rule to be is what it used to be which is 
he has the ball securely. He reaches over the goal line. You know, kind of think of that as an electronic force. Boom, touchdown, play over. Move. And that's not really what it is anymore. You've got to have that all the way through, including the ground. Somebody asked, well, what's the difference between that and the ground causing a fumble? Well, ground causing a fumble in the, in the field of play, it's because you've already secured the possession. In this case, that hasn't been proven uh, with the catch and the turn. I'm with you on the uh, the football move aspect of it, but the football move completely made until that ball is uh, secure on the ground. It's a heck of a play um, by James to, to do what he did, but uh, just not quite. The other issue I have with that rule is if he had held the ball up in the air and not come to the ground and a Patriots player walked by and slapped the ball out of his hands after he crossed the goal touchdown. line, it would have been a touchdown. Yeah. It's a stupid, stupid rule. Yeah. Well, I think you're right about that. It's a great example. Um, I just think that the way they have to write the rules because of replay and because everything is so finite, um, they've got to have it in black and white. And I do agree a little bit. with. It's unfortunately, you can't put the genie back in the bottle when people say this is the negative side effect of involving replay. I love baseball. I absolutely hate that in baseball we can go back and spin it down to three frames and see, oh, yeah, the guy overslid second base by you know a millisecond and the tag was kept on him the whole time, so he's out. He never would have been called out before. The spirit of the rule is not to call him out. Um, and so that's kind of what's happening here. But you do want replay uh, to get the calls right, and uh, that's the way she rolls with that. So tough one for the Steelers. Can I tell you something, Paulie, that I uh, did not know about the Steelers, and you must have been a Steelers fan and and uh, somebody who goes to Heinz Field every now and again. ESPN did an awesome feature in the morning on the use of the Sticks Renegade song. Yes, they pl- play Renegade, and it just absolutely pumped up the crowd. It was so awesome. I, I found myself playing it over and over, um, and I even said to the people involved in, in some of the stuff at the Dome, if you ever need an example to show why it's cool to have an anthem and how you can make it work, you know, settle. it's hard to settle on that one thing or find the one thing that works, but between that and, you know, Sweet Caroline and, and uh, in Baltimore, it's thank God I'm a country boy. Different places have their have their thing that get the crowd going. The Dome the, used to do Journey, and they, yeah, that was a Doug Marone, yeah, classic rock era thing. Yeah, I didn't have an issue with that. I mean, it's a weird song to get pumped up to, but everybody sang it and got into it. Right? So. Yeah, it's hard to kind of for those to get their roots, but uh, very cool uh, the way the Steelers use it. And I, then I found myself watching the game. Went, hey, I wonder if they're playing it during this timeout or. Or that time out, and that must have been an awesome atmosphere. It, you saw the note that the, now the Steelers and Pats are going to play again next year because they both won their division, and and uh, that's how the divisions uh, match up. But they might play again this year in the playoffs. I don't uh, know if it's a set time that they do it, but like I, I follow Charlie Batch on Twitter, and he's like, "It's time for Renegade a lot, you know. Just it's time to get the crowd pumped up, play Renegade." So. Well, you can tell how much the players are into it. Mike Tomlin's into it. Very cool, and you can. Uh, on YouTube, there's a whole bunch of versions of it. Uh, pretty neat. Can I add a side to this? Uh, the call that yes. uh, I get bothered by a lot is a lot of people stopped me as a Steelers fan and said, did you get upset? <laughs> did you yell? Did you throw your remote? No. It's not like, like if something at my work. You think it got had, a little wonky at Chadwick's last night? Yeah, probably. But, but <laughs> There was some property damage. If something happened to my job like that, I'd probably be 
kicked. But yeah. it's it's just a like game. Like if you got dog cussed by a Baldwin brother <laughs> yes. in the middle of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would affect me. But this yeah. is just... It, 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 would I have been happy for about 10 minutes after, if with the Steelers being the Patriots? Yes. Am I going to lose sleep over them losing on a bad call? No. And I'm not going to yell and I'm not going to throw things. Um, Sports fans run the gamut, Polly. I'm, I'm, I'm not only with you, I'm probably even more so in, uh, in that regard, but uh, different w- strokes for different folks, and that passion is uh, I will why, occasionally why say we love yes. It. Yes or pump a fist. I will say this. We were talking about calls and rules. The most punitive rule in sports I can think of is what cost the Raiders last night as uh, David Carr's uh, losing possession of the football, if you want to call it a fumble, is he stretches out for the pylon. It went out of bounds in the end zone, which means not only is it not your ball anymore, it's their ball, and they're at the 20-yard line uh, with the touchback, and the Cowboys got a win in Oakland. So uh, interesting stuff there. We can touch on that with uh, Spiro Ditas of uh, CBS coming up in a bit. Rolling right along in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. Could the XFL get new life? Reports say Vince McMahon interested in reviving his rogue football league after its single-season flop in 2001. McMahon, who owns the WWE, is said to be relaunching a uh, or launching a media company separate from his wrestling juggernaut to explore the possibility of relaunching the XFL to go another round of competing against the NFL, which has been the subject this season of controversy and falling ratings. I, I could see this actually being in a climate now where this could work a little bit better. First of all, there were a lot of successful elements of it, and that's been carried over whether you know it or not when it comes to the sky cam and the added access and even allowing some of the personality of the players. If you're doing this, you're going to have to do it with players knowing that they're going to go in with more concussion risk and more, you know, because part of the edge of the XFL was it wasn't as safe and and uh, that type of thing. But I think there's probably just enough good players to maybe – be involved in something like this where uh, it could work, and obviously Vince McMahon is a promotional genius. One of NASCAR's power couples have crashed and burned. Danica Patrick and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. ending their five-year relationship. Speculation over the split began when Stenhouse showed up at the NASCAR Cup Series November 30th without Patrick, a spokesperson for Patrick now confirming the relationship is over. You seem to be tap dancing on that particular grave there, Joe. (laughs) You got a thing for Danica or? Who does or, or Ricky? Uh, well, either, yeah, either, either at this point. Yeah, I I, uh, I think that's really one of the things that stands a, a the trapping of fame there. That you you know who really wants to talk about their failed relationships, let alone publicly, and to have a publicist that's got to go and confirming relationships are over. That's a big bowl of wrong. I would uh, date Danica Patrick. Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. She's cute. The height thing would be okay for you. She'd be in your range, right? <laughs> yeah. She's we. I'm very sweet. We'd have very tiny babies. <laughs> Jumping ahead by a few years there. And travel- Nine months. <laughs> Travelers at the airport in Atlanta were stranded on Sunday because of a power outage. They did not go hungry, though. Chick-fil-A opened to provide over 2,000 meals to stranded travelers. Normally, the popular restaurant is closed on Sundays. God bless Chick-fil-A. 
Great company. Outstanding chicken. Very often, Chick-fil-A is what uh, soothes the wounds of the losing football teams all across the eastern part of the United States, particularly the southeastern part of the United States. So you have that when you leave and what have you. We had Chick-fil-A on the way home from the uh, Georgetown game the other day. Chick-fil-A after a win, and then even more so, spicy Chick-fil-A. Now that's the bomb. When's the one in Cuse opening? Soon, right? Pretty soon, yeah. Out in Clay, right? Yes, I can't wait. Heard somebody say that if you're among the first hundred to show up at any opening of a new Chick-fil-A, you get a free value meal every week for a year. I don't know, so don't don't go there on my account. You didn't hear that from me. I don't know. I haven't double-checked that or dealt with it, but uh, if you're going to camp out for a fast food restaurant opening, that's one that's going to reward you. That is, a, there's very few things I would camp out for. That might be one of them. I do that more than an iPhone or yeah. sneakers or <laughs> probably tickets to some things. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's Love It First Slice. Subscribe to ESPN Syracuse in iTunes and Google Play. Receive daily podcasts of Orange Nation in the booth. The Daniel Baldwin Show and On the Block. And be caller 5 right now at 437-7644. That's 315-437-7644 ESPN 44. Fifth caller right now wins tickets to the Orange game against Buffalo tomorrow night in the Dome. We'll come back with Spiro Ditas of CBS. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Never miss a single second of our brilliance. All you have to do is download the podcasts of the hosts and shows you love the most. Probably shouldn't broadcast that. Okay, love might be strong. How about like the most? Yeah, that's more like Subscribe to ESPN Syracuse on iTunes. Let's have it again, but slowly. Listen back on iTunes or ESPNSyracuse.com. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. The Crunch hit the road for the first game this week on Wednesday against the Laval Rocket. Join us for Countdown at Crunch Time at 7.15 and the puck drop at 7.30 on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Good to have you along with us. Those, those tickets went flying off the shelves to uh, caller number five, so congratulations to that person. I invite you again to subscribe to ESPN Syracuse in iTunes and Google Play to receive podcasts of Orange Nation in the booth, Daniel Baldwin's show, and On the Block sent right to your phone. Now, tomorrow we're going to get into the uh, Buffalo game, of course, but we also have some uh, interesting sound from Coach Beheim, kind of a history lesson on the Big East. He's been asked about it a million times, but... Uh, each time it's special for him to make the comments on what it was like, the Georgetown uh, game back in the day. And uh, certainly Coach Beheim wants to, as he said Saturday, keep this series going. And I think uh, why not? We've got some Twitter reaction to that. We'll get into that when we have a little bit more time on tomorrow's show. Only a few more minutes, and uh, we'll spend those minutes with Spiro Ditas of CBS. Had the call on the game uh, Saturday. And uh, Spiro, good to see you, and uh, hope you enjoyed what I imagine was your first uh, Syracuse-Georgetown game in person. Yeah, it was great. You know, I mean, I grew up in the Northeast watching so many of those games, and to be in the middle of it and get to call that game and, and look over and you know see Jim Beheim and, and Patrick Ewing, you know, in the mix uh, in the rivalry for the first time as a coach, it was pretty cool. It really was. So there was a time there where early in the game we're thinking, gee, whatever uh, is on television opposite the Syracuse Georgetown game is probably getting a lot of clicks to it right now. And I know uh, for the veteran that you are, you had to be thinking along those same lines. But uh, it wound up being compelling 
TV in the end, right? It was a great, a great game. You know, I have to say, I, w- I was impressed with Georgetown. Mm-hmm. I really was. You know, uh, Clark Kellogg, who you know watches watches more college hoops than than I think anyone in the country was uh, was not a surprise. He seems to think that Georgetown is is going to be really good. I think better than than some people maybe initially thought. You know, with all the talk of their non conference, and I tell you what, for that being their first real test with with a, a team that's very inexperienced in certain spots, I, I was impressed. Um, you know, in the end, I just thought Syracuse had too much. I think their their two guys, you know, with Brissett and Battle, are are just are phenomenal and. If Syracuse can hit shots consistently, which I think is going to be the question all season, um, they're going to be pretty good. That's right. Well, you'll uh, likely have a, a tournament stretch there at the uh, the end of the year and one of those uh, great assignments in the first weekend of the tournament. And so, of course, that's how we frame the college basketball season and, and looking to uh, see if the Orange fit in there over the course of the year, which is about to pick up speed here, three more non-conference games, and then on into the ACC. You know, you've seen uh, more than your share of NBA action, and I wondered what you thought of uh, Tyus Battle, and, and probably next after that would be O'Shea Brissett. Well, I think the, the first thing that jumps out, they're, they're both they're both athletes, you know, and, and I think you watch them play, and very quickly, you know, you, you come to the realization that these kids are, are the kind of athletes that really project to the next level. Um, the question for Battle is, you know, because of his size, you know, for some people he's kind of in that in-between, you know, that tweener that people talk about all the time. But, you know, if he can continue to develop that outside jump shot and, and develop a mid-range game that I think is reliable for him, um, you know, he can defend, he can he can handle it, he can do everything else. He can certainly run up, run up and down the floor. Uh, for me, it just comes down to his shot. You know, if he can really continue to develop that part of his game, I mean, to me there's no doubt he could be, you know, a very, very good player at the NBA level. And and O'Shea Brissett, I was, you know, first time seeing him play in person, super impressed. You know, he's, you know, he's got all the tools, he's got everything you want, but he just has a good spirit about him. You know, he he's a fighter. You know, I, I just loved his heart. Attack the basket, you know, in a big moment, you know, something you want to see from a freshman. You never got the the sense that he was intimidated by the, the big stage and, I just was really impressed with, with the kind of player and the kind of kid that he is. And Jim Beheim, in our conversation with him before the game, loves him and really thinks that he could have a, a, a really, really big year for them. Spiro Didis of CBS is, is our guest. We, there's been a lot of conversation in the last week or so. Should Syracuse still play Georgetown, et cetera? And somebody hit us up on Twitter a minute ago and say, well, why not, you know, if you're going to play Georgetown, why not Seton Hall, Rutgers, Providence? And uh, just talking to you right now made me think of it. They don't put Syracuse Rutgers on CBS. <laughs> on a Saturday, right? <laughs> with with all due respect, or, or Providence, or or what have you. So uh, we'll, we'll get that for another time. Hey, before we turn you loose, though, I wanted to get your perspective. Uh, we thought about having you on last week. The, your previous NFL game was the Snover time win for mm-hmm. uh, Bills and Colts. How cool was that? Was especially if really? you were able to be somewhat warm. No matter no matter what I do for the rest of my career. <laughs> You know, when people ask me when I'm done, I mean, that's going to be one of the games that I remember. You know, it was it was so surreal from every vantage point. You know, you know, our cart cam, the camera that kind of rolls up and down along the sidelines that gives you one of the most commonly used angles when you're watching the game at home. I actually got snowed in at one point. <laughs> so we're, we're looking down at the field and there's like five grounds crew frantically trying to shovel the thing out of the snow. Um, it, it was, I've never experienced anything like that. And, you know, there were a couple of moments in the game in the booth where I just kind of, you know, me and Adam Archuleta, my partner, just looked at each other and we just kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, this is absolutely insane. 
Adam at one point just started laughing during the game. He's like, this is, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't gather himself. He's like, this is crazy. He's like, this, these guys literally can't move. You know, six inches of snow on the field. The, the, the grounds crew, which did yeoman's work, you know, trying to frantically, you know, send out 50 shovelers during each timeout. They couldn't keep up with the snow because it was coming down so, so fast. And um, it, it was just crazy. The whole scene was surreal. Watching the guys trying to navigate through that snow was incredible. And uh, it was it was fun. It was very, very fun. 30 seconds left. I thought the uh, most illustrative plays were, were the punts, where the punters didn't look athletic <laughs> at all. They looked like the Michelin men. They could just barely get the foot <laughs> on the ball. And then the punts just stopped. They just stop. Oh, it's perfect. I mean, you can make perfect conditions for a punter or, you know, perfect in the way that the ball lands for sure. Um, you know, the, the field goal, the extra point that Vinatieri hit at the end of regulation, I mean, to me, obviously the, the stakes have been much higher for him in his career, but that was one of the most incredible kicks I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, to give the Colts a chance, it really was. And those conditions to get it off from that distance in that weather was, to me, you put that kick right up there with, with some of the best kicks we've seen the last couple of years. So, awesome stuff. Uh, all in all, just a really fun day. Makes for good television. We appreciate your uh, insight on it. We'll do it again down the road sometime, okay? All right, man. Good to talk to you. All right, good stuff. Spirit Adidas of uh, CBS. And uh, Adam Vinatieri, one of the great all-time kickers, also shanked a pretty short uh, field goal in that game. It was an historic one. Well, good show today. Uh, we thank uh, Spiro Ditas from coming on. We thank uh, Polly and Joe and the whole crew. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Josh Wetzel of Buffalo with us in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.